Welcome to the Cyber Weekly. I am Dogracious Okello, your host, and I am with Josephine Olok, my co-host. In this podcast, we talk about cybersecurity and all matters related to cyber with book reviews monthly. I am glad you made it. So uh, today, we have a guest, Bernard Ainitre. And uh, we shall be diving deep into how he got to know us and how uh, how he he was interested in coming to join us here for for this podcast uh but before that um josephine do you have something to say uh no just good morning dale thank you very much for the introduction um good morning bernard it's very nice to see you um i think you're very welcome. So, and as as Dale says, excited to to have you, and also to understand why you wanted to to be part of this podcast. But yeah, thank you for joining us. Thank you too. Um, good morning to you too. When I when I saw the the first uh, podcast, uh, actually, it wasn't the first po- the the intention of the first podcast uh, by Dale on uh, one of our groups. I was actually pleasantly uh, impressed of uh, his ambition, and uh, it also reminded me of my younger self uh, in this field. When you're trying to look for a mentor, when you're trying to do something, it sometimes becomes so difficult. But for for a young man, I felt personally, I've tried to look for mentors because I feel uh, on every professional journey. You sometimes, you mo- most times need somebody who's in the field to probably guide in the right uh, uh, path. And I felt what Dale was doing was in the right path, and I felt uh, I could contribute to his to his path. Uh, not not uh, so that he doesn't probably take longer than some of us did, or make uh, certain errors that some of us did. But I was actually impressed, and because of the kind of work I do. Um, I be, I'm, of, I'm of the school of thought that most of the issues we have in the technology world are because of social engineering. So if the message is spread wide, far and wide, then we kind of avert many issues that we have in the technology space. So by joining the space, I felt it was also another avenue we could partner in uh trying to uh, cut down on the issues of uh, uh, scams or of cyber fraud. And of course, uh, I didn't know Josephine was part of it, but I think we, we met at the FITSPA, and I was also impressed with what, it was my first time meeting you, and I was also pleasantly surprised with what you're doing. So, Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you, Bernard. We appreciate that. And I think uh, this leads us, of course, mentoring is really important. But this leads us nicely to our first uh, question, which is really, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and how did you get into uh, your field of work, which is, uh, I think, a forensic investigation. Hey, um, it's a kind of an interesting journey. Um, I actually started well, my first job was at MultiChoice, which was actually in customer care. Uh, but uh, it was also an interesting time because I, I understood the, the key stakeholders of any business, that if the customer is not happy, then the business does not work. Uh, I went on to go to the Inspector of Government, where I was uh, an IT officer. Then uh, as time went on, I evolved into uh, an IT auditor. Then I ended up heading uh, the forensics digital forensics lab, uh, which I was managing at the time. So my work then was to collect evidence, to analyze evidence, work with investigators, uh, to assist them in instances of digital fraud, digital fraud, corruption, or any evidence that they needed to adduce in court. Um, by the time I left, I then went to KCB Bank, where now I was given the title of forensic investigator. So, which now marinated all kind of fused with what I was doing before and now entered into the financial crime space. Uh, 
So, and now that uh, most of our transactions are e-online, um, it fused into the work I do that by the time you um, you have an allegation, you need to have the, to assess, find the evidence, because it, an allegation is an allegation, but to prove that it is actually um, what it is, you have to have the evidence. And this evidence can be in the form of uh, uh, digital footprints. Uh, so that's, um, two years down the road, I also left KCB. Right now I'm into consultancy, still in the same kind of field, digital forensics and the financial crime. Yeah. So that is me. Thank you for that answer. Adil, you want to? Yes, a uh, very good introduction. Uh, I would like to go to the next question, which is what are the three main challenges you've found within the financial sector? Uh, the challenges, uh, I, I could say the, the biggest challenge, of course, is that the crime keeps evolving every day. Crime keeps evolving. Today, uh, you had check fraud. Today, you have, uh, the next day, you have uh, uh, card fraud. The next day, it's uh, internet banking fraud. There's an app. Now, the challenges, of course, are some things that are not going to 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 end today because when you have business and compliance there's always conflict and because of the competition of different organizations that some you want if bank says that we are introducing this application that's going to get us new customers the next bank because of the competition may want to get into the next field and work backwards in terms of security so some of our jobs now we come to clean up most times that because of the competition, uh, business and compliance are always in kind of a conflict because compliance is going to slow down business acquisition, goes to slow down the kind of how many people do we, are we onboarding? Now, if you're going to say checks and balances, then business sometimes is, ah, you're slowing us down. Competition is the market. So, Basically, it is that sphere that is always in conflict that now as you as a compliance person, you always have challenges because you as a, a compliance person are regarded as a support staff, while business is what is paying everyone. So that, that has been my number one challenge, but I have found ways of making, having people appreciate especially business, that if we do not appreciate the compliance bit, then the uh, bottom line will also be affected. So will your bonuses. So working in a way of having every stakeholder appreciate what you're doing has been a solution to the problem. But otherwise, if you don't appreciate what they're doing, then you always have the biggest conflict because the funds to give you the latest technology also diminish because it's just taking away. You're not bringing in. So for me, in my experience, that has been the major challenge. Uh, crime evolving, that is really something that you, as a person, you have to keep up abreast. That's why I go for these sessions, CPA, so that you understand what is going on. Because if, say, something happens in Kenya, trust me, <laughs> within a month or two, it is going to be created in Uganda. And I think from the last session, um, I, you talked about cloud computing. That now with E, somebody could actually attack my bank account when they're in a different jurisdiction, they're in Thailand. So the, the crime, the way it evolves, that sometimes that if, if somebody manages to hack my account and is in Thailand, uh, you have a challenge that how do you handle it? Because you can't use the laws of Uganda to a person who is in Thailand. So now that goes uh, beyond you, that now you have to speak to regulators, to government policymakers, to see how do we manage our relationship with such countries, with the, the sphere around us. So I think those could be the three. And uh, I don't want to overtalk because... <laughs> That's, yeah. Yeah, th thank you for that. I think definitely what you're saying is there is that push and pull between compliance and business. And um, obviously, it's it's important that 
it's a collaborative approach to to cybersecurity um, in, within within businesses themselves, so that compliance isn't, isn't just looked at, for instance, as a cost center. Um, and and but in terms of the the, the tax then that you have worked with, perhaps what has been what really is one that has really stood out for you? You know, like a, a cyber attack, which you're like, my goodness, that did that take us by surprise? Did we see it coming? What what has really stood out for you? Um, the, there are two, and um, maybe I'll break them down in, in, in terms of the effect. We have had, I've uh, experienced a situation where we have had a denial of service. Um, I, I won't mention the place, of course, of course, confidentiality issues, yeah. where uh, somehow we have had an attacker who has uh, infiltrated your system, and all your core systems are down, so you can't offer any service. And that is what uh, could be called uh, distributed denial of service. That sometimes uh, these attacks depend on the intention of the person who has perpetrated them. And in most cases, in distribution uh, uh, DDoS, is that somebody is being malicious in terms of probably competition. Say, I'll just give a hypothetical example. Say um, um, Airtel, and uh, I feel maybe MTN is my main competitor. If I manage to slow them down, and that means it frustrates their clients, and that means they're probably the next thing is that they'll come to me. So some some of them have different uh, reasons, and that's why um, they'll manifest in different ways. So that distribution denial of service uh, affected all our systems that we couldn't offer any service for about uh, three days, and that is detrimental to the whole organization. The other one was the effect of our clients. that, And this was account takeover, which was also perpetrated by uh, social engineering. And from the investigations, I could tell that this was an inside job. At the time, we couldn't pinpoint who, but it the way the signature of it was that you probably have, let's say, telecom, mobile money, and somebody will, you know that if I dial star, well, let's say, 185 hash, and uh, three hash, sorry, star 185 star three hash, I probably go to this menu. But now you find that this menu has been customized for you. That while this menu could be um, one where you are going to buy airtime, this menu is authorizing somebody to send money to another account. So on your end, you are you honestly think you're probably buying airtime, but this menu has been customized just for somebody. So why I I quickly thought it was an inside job was this is not something that an ordinary person can do. Some of these things uh, that have been in the news, especially with modern, mobile money fraud, that somebody will do probably uh, social engineering, card uh, SIM cloning, but where a menu has been customized, you know that this is something that has come from source. And for you to actually get the, the footprints, you have to get access to the other system. So to me, those were the two that really were outstanding because while you are investing in uh, resources to cover external uh, threats, that the biggest threat now was an insider threat. That if somebody, an admin has, is unethical, whatever efforts, whatever expenses you are putting to invest in uh, high technology or secure technology, somebody inside will make it look irrelevant. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you are to piggyback on that now for account takeover, if you hear of such stories, should someone still feel safe with storing their money, let's say, in the bank? Uh, well, 
<laughs> well, even still, uh, keeping it under your bed is also a threat. <laughs> so uh, at one one point, you, you have to trust the system. But in my experience, I have found that it is not a one-person fight. And that's why I believe in a preventive action where it is collaborative, that once you also educate the users of the product, and they too can also be part of the fight of security. Because as much as the bank may secure uh, its platforms, if Bernard decides to share his PIN, then there's so much that can be done. So most of the things that if I call you on the 07155 uh, and I ask you for your PIN, and yet you actually know that my service provider or my bank uses a 031, I should be suspicious. It should be a red flag. But if I don't know that, because you see, some of this fraud manifests because of the kind of culture we are in. Most of our culture, we are trusting yeah. that if I called uh, Josephine and said, oh, Josephine, my, your niece has just got an accident. She's in the hospital. That immediately your intention, because of your Christian background, you, because of your culture, you are going to, the first instinct is to help. But then again, then it's after five minutes after sending the money, like, but no. My nieces, why didn't they call the mother first? Why did they call the auntie? That by the time you realize that, that even you who is uh, going through it school, will be a, it will be long gone. But it's because of the kind of culture that most of us are not security cautious. And if you're too cautious, then somebody says, but why are you too nosy? You're too strict. I'll, I'll, I'll confess to you that I've found situations whereby we're investigating a situation and somebody is actually innocent, but because they trusted their partner, somebody told, ah, my PC is not working. Help me with your credentials. I want to post this money uh, as my as IT helps me. Because you've been working together, you're like, Bernard is he's a quick guy. But that is a time where I have used that money, uh, that opportunity to uh, elevate my credentials. Say, if uh, Dell has, um, let's say, posting authorization credentials, and my credentials are just posting. But because, let's say, the institution has make a checker that Bernard should uh, post this money, then Dell should authorize. And that is uh, a mechanism of make a checker. But in this case, because I've been friends with Dale, I've created that social environment where he trusts me because all these things about trust. I post the money, use Dale's credentials to authorize the transaction. Now, if Dale is not uh, cognizant and says, okay, what did you do with my rights? You'll find that I have been doing that for so long and somebody else thinks it's normal. Mm. All the checks have been done. Even audit will say this transaction went through the right what uh, mechanism, but no, unknown to them that the same person I used Dell's credentials to pass on my transactions. So the, so, the person uh, created the transaction and also authorized. Yes, it's the same person. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So the. I find that um, I think you know awareness is so important. But I want to just take you back to the attacks that you said were stood out for you because I find it absolutely fascinating that uh, somebody was able to uh, create change menu mm. uh, to, to to dupe somebody into believing that that was the menu and then led them to obviously maybe say authorizing a, a payment or whatever. How did how did that happen? How did that attack? Okay, we look at it as an attack, but I mean, how did that happen? Are you able to tell us? Um, I'll I'll tell you, but of course, uh, there are certain things that I can't say. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, um, the, technic the technicalities behind it, yes, yes, nice. Yeah. Okay, uh, just think of a think of a, a situation whereby um, you are sent a message telling you that uh, you have been given, let's say, 250 uh, MBs uh, as a promotion, as, um, you know, thank you for the transactions, the transactions you've been doing on mobile money. 
Now, and there is a code or a link that is telling you that for you to retrieve this, uh, just dial star this, this, uh, for, you to uh, for you to access the, um, the bundles that we have given you as a reward. Now, in, by clicking, if you have a smartphone, or by uh, if you have a, um, the, the other small phones, the touchpads, if you, if now I have set a, a code for you to actually access the MBs, but now that code inadvertently leads to another menu or gives the person access. Think of it of another... It's not changing the menu, my existing menu. It's just giving me another... Yes. Ah, yes. I understand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just like how I would probably tell you, uh, you have had stories where people have been told for you, uh, your... You need to have your phone verified. So dial star one six star um, three, then star one four five six star this. Now, unknown to the person that that long code has a section for the pin. So you put in the pin, but you have actually uh, in that one tra one code you have authorized transaction. Yeah. Yes. So that is how it, it's really manifested. So it wasn't that the code changes, it changed uh, if you go to the main menu, but you are given a code specific to you. So in that instance of you trying to retrieve the free MBs, you have given authorization or you have actually done a transaction unknown to you. Okay. Yeah. Understood. Now, pertaining um, that incident of um, someone, you know, uh, having the same credentials, so he's doing both the authorization and also the the mm. transaction completely. Do you feel like, uh, yeah, that is basically separation of duties? But since someone already has the uh, password and all that, you find that he's doing everything too. Do you find that, uh, like, let's say two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication would help? Or what would you suggest would be the best option to prevent such an attack? Well, you see, for that kind of uh, situation, it is basically an internal job. But for any crime, especially in this uh, that deals with social engineering, it's a... Uh, it's an issue of uh, somebody misusing trust. Now, in that instance, you find that you already have separation of duties. But, the uh, but the, according to the company policies, you have flaunted um, the, 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 the separation of duties by trusting your subordinate or your superior. It's like somebody telling you, please sign here, we want to, um, you know, your supervisor telling you, please sign here, we want to authorize this, and you have not asked why. So internally you find that it is a bit difficult because the systems have been set, the, the policy has been set. So most times what companies do is that you have to take action for your um, credentials not sharing them if you do share then you are liable so in internally that it is always something that helps people get in check that why are you using my credentials especially if you know you have uh, elevated credentials or rights so it's it's about creating that level of um how can i put it where you're cautious of your rights, that if you have the key to the safe, do you share it with anybody? The, the responsibility that you have. So it starts internally that yes, the mechanism are there, but if you do not know why you hold that position or the authority that you hold, then it is something that it is, it's like you're, we are playing catch up. So you, it's difficult to, to see it on the other side, but it's something whereby 
all companies try to make sure that you are aware of the obligation you have. And this is constant training. This is constant reminders that do not share your PIN, do not share your password. Simply put, really. Yeah. So the the obviously that we, we all know that the weakest link is usually our people. And yes, you can have your policies, you can mm. have people following policies, but we also now know that there there is a lot more at stake in terms of uh what the attackers are willing to do, you know, willing to approach people even inside financial institutions with 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 uh, promises of a lot of pay if they are, you know, they can help them in in in, in stealing the money. So, I, I, one first first question is: Should we really be worried about that? This is a trend now that the attackers are getting smarter and also they are wealthier. Perhaps they are able to leverage the, that they have money that they are willing to pay people to 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 assist them with the crimes. So, what should we be worried? And as an investigator, um, what do you think? Um, is being done to address this uh, in terms of uh, obviously you do your part as an investigator, but what else can be done to to stem this uh, trend of attacks? Of, of course, uh, I, I will not lie to you, we should be worried because uh, um, my first uh, instinct though, is that you have to look at your society. Mm -hmm. How is your society? What kind of people do we have? That if somebody can uh, embezzle uh, funds meant for, uh, for lack of a better word, Mabugo, then what can they do if they are in position of uh, authority uh, or given um, that it does not really matter that Bernard has uh, uh, so many credentials and uh, masters and what, but ethically, how is your society? Because every company recruits from that kind of society. The same reason probably you have very few whistleblowers because of the society that you have. But um, on the other hand, uh, of course, as in, an investigator is that sometimes you, you play, you work with uh, the allegations at the time. But what I recommend or what I think is the uh, way to go is the preventive action. Now, preventive action probably can be broken down into two. That you have the training and um, uh, you have your staff and your clients aware of what is going on and how to prevent. What are the red flags? Then you'll have also uh, what we call maybe uh, preventive analytics or data analytics. That as an institution, are you able to see the DNA of your clients? That Josephine uh, normally um, withdraws money or does her transaction once a month. But on this date, we have seen her transactions, four transactions at midnight. That should be a red flag. Now, if it is a bank, then we should go ahead too. Maybe if we are able to have the infrastructure to pick up such red flags, to do a call back and say, Josephine, was this you? Because time is of the essence. Well, some sometimes maybe catch up, but the amount of time it takes to pick up those kind of transactions, those outliers, that you can save so much. So if you delay, if it takes a month, then you, you may never get anything yes you may get banned but you may never find the money but the the urgency the 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 this time that is taken to pick out those outliers those transactions and even then um now banks also are using uh threshold even the mobile money that it is one way of kind of curbing to reduce the damage so to say that if uh josephine has made Two transactions, two million, two million. Then it, it, you should have a unit that maybe can call back to ascertain, or before even the transaction, you can say before authorizing it, call back on the KYC information that Josephine gave us. Say, is this the right? Are you the one? Are you just kind of a call back to understand before authorizing? 
especially to a certain tune of money. So to answer your question, I think the preventive action is more feasible, though more expensive. But in this kind of world, of course, it would be something that everybody should invest in. That you, you know your trends, you know the kind of uh, uh, DNA your clients have. The trends, they, then they'll be able to see that this transaction is actually suspicious. It may not be a fraud, but could be suspicious. But then through your anal analysis, you can now put it in the right category. So, so the investment is, needs to be in the technology. Yes, the preventive action. And then, and then, of course, the people to, to, to manage that, yeah? Yes. Okay, okay. I mean, that, that means that. So now, like, for the people, you find that uh, now the IT team will be the ones dealing with mostly the developing of the technology. Now, let's say someone has maybe authorized a transaction in the middle of the night and you know it's a red flag definitely and it's rare for the person to, to make such a transaction. How are we supposed to implement uh, what you're talking about where someone is supposed to call uh, to confirm whether the transaction has been made? Look, like I said that of course, different banks and uh, you're always limited by resources to implement certain things that you you, you want. There are banks that have 24-hour um, personnel in terms to deal with such effects. Then there are, of course, banks that may not have those resources. But uh, as a transaction, yes, it the way, let's say, visa transaction that... If you got that red flag, the way it works, that you may be able to actually reverse that transaction, depending, of course, on the the, the certain uh, the, the kind of arrangement you have, let's say, with Visa or Mastercard. So, I cannot conclusively uh, say this or that, but it also depends on the institution and the kind of resources that you have. Now, for those that have a twenty-four hour uh, man, uh, team, you are able to probably uh, maybe delay the transaction. So it really depends on the resources at your disposal. Um, so we 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 are. I mean, I'm fascinated by the fact that you're a forensic investigator. You know, when you think about forensic investigator, you you. For me, I always think of the crime. Know <laughs> that and they come in and have all this. <laughs> so I'm really fascinated at what you actually do. And can you can you really tell tell us that you know once somebody once that you you know you and it is an allegation or that something has happened, you know money has been stolen or whatever. How do you go about doing your work I, without obviously giving us any details that you don't have to? But what what is your first thing you do? What are the steps you take? Uh, I, I mean, imagine now you're you're facing the crime scene. What what are you going to do? How do you go about your investigation? Yeah, personally, of course, not to make it so uh, look like larger life, but I, I always take it like a project, like any project. That once an allegation has come in, you are looking at the scope. Because some of the things are time-bound, but also the scope. That in in the process of investigating, you also find other things yeah. most times. But sometimes, of course, when an allegation is made that, let's say, um, Josephine's, uh, there was a, a transaction that happened on Josephine's account for which she did not authorize. So that becomes now my go-to to actually confirm, first of all, did this transaction happen or not? And as such, uh, I have to get access to Josephine's account. Now, if indeed I confirm that the transaction happened at the time she claimed to have happened, then we start from there. But if it is not, a, um, if not happened, and there's no money because if you say your money was taken off yesterday and we check the account and there's no transaction this week then probably you got a notification that wasn't meant for you 
So at least then we can confirm that human is still there. We can confirm the bank balance uh, previously and now, to which you can confirm. Now, if that is confirmed, then the case ends there. But if we actually find indeed that money was transferred, then the next thing is to follow the money. Where did the money go? Then who, what mode, or how did this money get off her account? Was it uh, by uh, um, mobile money? Was it uh, e-banking, uh, internet banking? Or did we have somebody physically come to the bank to withdraw? Now, after ascertaining, of course, the mode, then now if it is physical, then now you get assistance from the CCTV to see who exactly was it. Because we have actually found that there are some people that have claimed money has gone off, but they're the ones who withdrew the money. <laughs> so <laughs> it is crazy. But That's interesting. Yeah. I thought you were going to say it was their spouse who withdrew the money, but yeah. I'm also getting to that. <laughs> I'm also getting to that. In this film, there are so many things that you get, you, you get to, to see and you're amazed that yeah. you'll find a situation whereby somebody actually has just forgotten because they, they claim the money has gone off because they they went to let's say a branch in Guru and then they're in Kampala. Now they get notification, let's say later because of intermittency, then they are furious. But like, no, this is a transaction actually you, you did in Guru. Yes, the SMS may have come late, but this is the same. Then they come down and like, okay, fine. So case ends. Then there are instances whereby, like I said, our kind of culture that uh, let's say you find my, your spouse that becomes while I'm preaching, maintain your secrecy of pin. But as a spouse, you're like, what is yours? What is mine? So you find people sharing pins that I know your pin. But now, in that instance, let's say I've withdrawn money, you don't know about it. Then, of course, like, this bank has taken my money, only to find that, do you know this person? Yes, this is my husband. <laughs> <laughs> So now, <laughs> yeah, like, so but the kind of fury they come with after that, people come down. They're like, okay, okay, let's let's not raise a lot of dust because. <laughs> so, uh, and that's what I say that. For for sometimes we find that because people are sharing the culture, they're sharing their pin, they're sharing their their, their password, that somebody becomes easy to access. You you find your, your grandmother. Oh, your mother saying, ah, devil, you're the one who knows these IT things. You go to the ATM and get for me, uh, withdraw for me 500,000. Then devil reaches there, like, but why don't I get ex extra 100K? Get 600,000. Then when she's, if she's too cautious to query the transaction, but I never withdrew 600,000. Only to find out that the person she sent, um, Took, took more than yes they they they, they put some no, tax on the transaction <laughs> <laughs> black tax on the money yes so, <laughs> this kind of transactions i'm telling you that it's you'll be shocked that it's a kind it's, it's cross-cutting but it also involves that it has a deep culture of uh connection especially in the environment with culture um but then again, as I was saying, that now after knowing the mode, after knowing if it is now genuinely that somebody else unknown to you is the one who has taken the money or she, then after following the money, because this money ends up somewhere, you are able to work backwards and at least find out that if this money was withdrawn from from maybe a, a store in uh, Gaza Road, then you are able to find out to to ascertain at least to pin down where the money was withdrawn. Now, if you also work backwards and find call call logs of uh, you, sometimes you find that this person who has withdrawn the money has been calling you your phone, mm -hmm. has been uh, trying to, to uh, tell you that UCC is going to block your phone. So you find a kind of actually find that this person has been trailing you for some time. And so that's why you say that social engineering and all this, they, they always mix. 
that you find that someone has been trailing you. Then for internet banking, you, you find that Josephine probably went to to Forest Mall and, oh, okay, let me use Dell because of his age group. Um, and I'll explain why. That you'll find uh, a bunch of, a certain age group, the moment they go to a certain place, they'll seek for free Wi-Fi. Now, in seeking for free Wi-Fi, what most times we advise people is that do not transact any serious business on such um, untrusted mediums. And uh, I remember Deo had asked me about malware. Now, every malware is divided into viruses and um, um, worms. Now, quickly, to put it in the way that viruses will, will also be, you have many of them, that some are also spyware, some are adware. Now, they are termed because of the intention of the person who has created them. That if you have, if you click on an untrusted link, especially let's say somebody wants to watch a, an, a, a football game, a premiership game, but wants to use an untrusted source. But because it is free, you find that you have so many pop-ups, so many ads, but because your intention at that point is to watch a free soccer game, that that those pop-ups may be spyware. Now, if the person is intentional and they know that um, the laptop probably Dell is using is actually for Josephine, that now today you are keying key in your credentials, there's what you call keyloggers, that they'll keep your credentials in that session, in those cookies, that now somebody will be able to get everything you put in in clear text. That your name, your email address, your password are got in clear text. It's the same thing as you have with, um, let's say, your debit cards. That if somebody, we normally, let's say, the future fuel station, you give it to the person, he he keys it, uh, keys in the button, gives it to you on the, those post machines. But if I took a photo of the back and front, I have your credentials. So if you're not somebody who is security cautious, I may transact, buy everything I want on Amazon without your knowledge. That I may also do it at night when I know Josephine is asleep. So whatever notifications you get, you may not quickly uh, run for aid. And as such, I'll do whatever I want and get them back. Now, that is all, I've given you different scenarios of how everything will work out during an investigation. So once we've now narrowed down to who exactly perpetrated it, in what form, now of course, nowadays, because of the new uh, rulings, that the burden, certain burdens are on to the client, that if indeed Josephine shared your pill, then the bank can't be liable. They can do us so much, but the individual now you take the blame because of the new uh, new um, rulings. So, but then if the liability falls on the bank, that actually it was an inside job, that uh, Bernard connived with Devil who uh, fleece Josephine, then now that's a different case. That now, once the evidence is actually um, uh, given, then the client in all manner of senses should be compensated. Then uh, Bernard and Deush uh, face the disciplinary committee and as such uh, get their fair hearing. And in, if at all the evidence is is uh, to the dot, then they can be terminated or uh, further they can also be arrested or taken to court to retrieve for punitive uh, damages or something like, like that. So the case has really evolved. And yeah, yeah I guess so, maybe in, yeah. in, in, in a nutshell. <laughs> when, 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 just maybe just to expand on that a little bit. So 
if if the trail is obviously if the trail is that somebody withdrew money from the ATM uh, or at the counter, or whatever that that is within the banking industry, that is good. But given now we are all interconnected, if it was mobile money, for instance, and and you know that the withdrawal was made by mobile money, and you investigate in this case, to what extent do you then have to deal with the the mobile money company or you know because we are now so much, so interconnected in terms of our payments how how do you then conduct the investigation does that mean you have to go to the to that company and, and, and try and chase the trail uh does interconnectivity uh in the way we work now give you that access or does it require more than more than that um it it depends on the person doing it now, if I am uh, an employee of the bank, the, uh, I am guided by the uh, investigation charter, which right. spells out what what bounds uh, to what bounds I can reach. If we need corroboration from the uh, mobile service provider, uh, most times we get a court order to justify our actions. Now, if now the perpetrator really is not a staff of the bank. Then now we may pursue it through police, the channel that has the authority to pursue civilian, somebody who is not part of the bank, but work together. Now, in this case, if I am a consultant as an individual, I may still work with police, but may now go further than, than um, what an employee of the bank would do because of the limitations that you have that you sometimes you can't pursue somebody who is not staff <laughs> yes so it, it it depends on who is now doing it and uh, at one at the other point of course because of the corporations you have the mobile mobile agencies then they too can share information but most times it want to do it with a court order to make everything official so that because every once the once the investigation starts, the mindset is that you are doing everything in a in a certain way, mm -hmm. so that by the time you get to court, you have not missed any step or done anything that is, contravenes the rule of law. Okay. But I guess now you are independent, so you are able to go outside. Of, you know, if, if if it's a financial crime that goes outside of the bank, you can do that now as an independent uh, forensic. Uh, consultant okay. yes. Great. Mm. so uh, concerning that who do you report to when it comes to such incidents when you are following up and all that your chain of command um, chain of command really in my experience this kind of work is kind of new that uh, it has been evolving as, and every institution kind of treats it differently as they see fit at that point in time. Uh, maybe I'll draw you to the audit function, how it evolved. You had the audit function um, years back and they were reporting to probably the management. But then of course, as uh, Things went on, people also questioned their um, independence. You can imagine if I'm reporting to Josephine and she's the one appraising me and the report is against her, you, your bias may come in. Mm. So I think the powers that be also realize that and as such, now you find that the audit function reports to the board, um, uh, board audit board committee. Now, for investigations, for you'll find that some of them will align to the risk function, others to um, may report to uh, the different structures. Really, I, I don't want the things I was going to say, but <laughs> but the, the every institution treats them differently. There are some institutions which now report to when they have a group kind of setting, they also report to their group uh, forensics function. 
So, of course, if I if it were up to me, I would want it to also report to uh, a board committee, because then there you are given the independence uh, and you avoid the biases so that your report goes straight. And because trust me, if you're working with individuals in my in my CFE training, a certified fraud examiner. It is revealed that asset misappropriation is the most common fraud, but the amount of money that the institution loses is kind of about 30%. While frauds committed by management amount to 5%, but amount to the most money that institutions lose. So if you are reporting to senior management that is involved in that ethical behavior, then for some, you will have issues. And not, that's why you'll find that some places you have so much high turnover. Those are also red flags that maybe something is not happening right, that maybe your report is going up, but somebody is sitting on it. I guess the higher you are, the more impact you have. As in, Certainly. you can steal more, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. Certainly. And in this culture where people are brought up, where you don't question your father, if uh, the MD says, uh, please do this, uh, some people may say, will comply and not question them because they don't have that authority or confidence to do question that person. Otherwise, you'll have issues also if you're ambitious. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So, so I guess um, so now just just to um, understand it. So you work like, obviously you talked about being work, having to work collaboratively and in your role as an investigator. You said you work with police. You also work. Do you go directly to court to get uh, some kind of court order if you need to work with a telco company? Um, at, at the moment, if if uh, working with police is easier to get the court order. Because okay. uh, because if if you have reported a, a crime, then you are given a police uh, a, a number. Okay. So it is uh, in that basis that now court also gives you the court order because of mm -hmm. that uh, case that has been reported. Now, as intern, if you are uh, before when I was internal, of course you work with police. Or uh, if you now think that this case is actually going to end up in court. You also now also register the uh, the complaint, and then you work with police to get that court order that will compel the mobile mobile service provider to give you that information. Because uh, doing it, if you don't do it in the proper way, then you are going to face challenges with data privacy. Because say M10 is not going to say just gladly give you information of their clients, because their clients can also sue them that didn't seek uh, consent from me before sharing this kind of information. Okay. So the, the um, so you, you collect when, when a, a case is going to be uh, it's criminal and it's going to court, you still submit evidence to police as part of that case or how does that work? No, it, it depends on what police is actually going to do. But at the end of the day, as the main investigator, you are the one going to adduce the evidence. Or in the case when police is involved, you can give them the original, but you also retain your copy. Because at the end of the day, I'm the one going to um, stand in court to back up what, uh, um, what evidence I found or the methods I used. Uh, yeah, there you have. Uh, maybe if I can just um, ask one more. It's about the, we we make assumptions that it's always about financial crime, right? That that, that you investigate, but, but your investigation is digital. Uh, you know, you're looking for digital evidence. What other uh, things do you investigate apart from financial crime? Are there other things that we need to know? Because I think obviously we're always worried about the financial crime money and all that. But mm. are there other kind of cases that you investigate? Yes, certainly, certainly. Because um, if you're in an institution, then you have 
procurement fraud, you have mm -hmm. asset misappropriation, you have someone who has uh, the companies where you, you buy assets, and before you know it, uh, probably the procurement officer says, uh, or the person in charge of assets says, these assets are no longer functional, we need to sell them. So there's always fraud evolves in different spheres, especially procurement, asset misappropriation, um, even simple what you may call onboarding of uh, new stuff that they follow the right channel. So anything that seems unethical falls into a category of, of fraud or, or simply put, um, not following the procedure of the institution. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Dale, you? I think you can handle that next question. Um, I think it's it's about uh, the one about the impact. Um, is there any, uh, can you just give us a case perhaps um, where you really uh, your skills, for instance, have really made a big difference to an investigation. So there was a significant impact in, in how the investigation uh, was either resolved or or done. Hmm, it's <laughs> a good one. Um, I, I could say there are two instances, and one of them that I'm passionate about is really. Um, the preventive action is that you find that most institutions, the hemorrhage is that uh, why you, what people forget most times that uh, you say that we haven't made profit at the end of the year, and that is the bottom line, it has many factors to it. Yes, you may, your sales may not be up as you wanted, or your cost of uh, your, your, your CAPEX or OPEX, have been have affected it, but then you forget the hemorrhage. Say, um, I, I'm going to uh, run around the bush because of uh, not wanting to say certain things, but I'll give you probably uh, um, an example. Imagine a, a scenario where um, you have agents. These agents. Because you're trying to maximize on your outreach to uh, your clients, so the agents are your representative of the bank. So what, what appeals to them to join you is that whatever transactions you make, we shall give you a commission. So, but then you find that now the agents, after doing that, they realize that if Dell comes to withdraw 10, uh, 1 million, but the commission of one million is probably say fifty thousand. But if the commission, if I split those one million into two, I'll get commission twice. So you find that if this person is doing it for a hundred people, they are going to affect the overall bank's profitability because you are giving out more for just the same kind of transaction. Would the commission for 500 be yes. the same as a million? Oh, it's, it's... No, not necessarily. Uh, that's mm. why I'm saying uh, hypothetically. Okay. But the, um, the more the transactions, that's why you hear that there's a uh, transaction splitting. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've been to a mobile store and they say, oh, no, uh, let me first give you 500, I'll give you uh, the next one, I don't have enough money. But in essence, they're splitting a transaction. So for them, the more transactions, the more they benefit. But it is, comes at the cost of the institution. So by analyzing the trends, found that could, many people were actually being dishonest. And as such, most of them had to refund the, 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 uh, the commission. Sorry, the commissions, yes. Yeah, and, uh, as, and and this, of course, was, you know, how you monitor your agents for a period of six months. That's not a one day off that you can say this person has been doing this. And it's a pattern that uh, within a minute or two, he's serving the same client. 
So you manage to find a pattern. And as such, you have substantial evidence to conclude that this person is not being honest. So and in the invest in the interview in the interview process, the person actually confesses to it. And most times they settle because they don't now you have so much evidence, but they still want to. So it is a method that has brought in more money. Because I, I, I like to look at it in the way of how have you, how have I impacted on the institution that I'm working for? Because while yes, you, you may get that, you may get Bernard has done something, but if the the impact is also not monetary, it may not be felt. The work may not be felt. So I, I try to always look at how what is the financial impact through that institution. So that particular case, I would it it may seem average, but it monitoring that transaction and coming up with a report that management actually believe that these particular agents are fleecing us mm -hmm. was something that uh, I th was something that I feel was something that uh, could be up there because mm -hmm. then there we now monitor going forward it changes the way we deal with people yeah it changes the way our MOUs are crafted so I, I think it was something that I could on the on the at this moment I could give us something that was impactful. Yeah, I mean it sounds incredible because there's so many agents and so many transactions. So you can imagine if you're losing out on every transaction because it's being uh, split. I think that's a great, great, great one. Adele. Now, with such a situation, do you find log aggregation being very key in terms of? capturing such uh, anomalies of course of course because there's no way you can you can now monitor and analyze um such transactions without them being logged and uh, do you find that uh, ai would be very convenient for such a uh, situation yes 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 and no because research so <laughs> I, I know i know it's interesting in ai <laughs> Because you see, of course, AI, you're going to feed it with modules. And these modules come from uh, human interaction because the module that works today is not going to work tomorrow because the fraud will keep um, changing faces. So in that instances, the person handling the AI, I don't want to say AI can work independently alone. In, in this phase, you must have Yes, there may be certain things that have happened over time and have been mastered and they will raise red flags. But raising the red flag does not necessarily mean that it is actually what? A, a fraudulent activity. It is something that it is something to look into further and actually ascertain whether it is. Uh, it could be an outlier. So like the, like the example you gave of, let's say, transaction of at 1 a.m. by Josephine, that most times you not expect her to be up but at that particular point, she could be in another country, and the time flag shows it is 1 a.m. here, but she did it uh, from the UK, and that such it was 9 p.m. probably, or 9 or 10. So those are things that AIS will flag it, but it only flags by the modules you are giving it that how are your clients, how, how do they transact? It is only you who can give it that module, and then it can also adapt. But somebody you have to also be somebody has to be a human person has to be there. I know many people are afraid AI will take will take jobs, but there has to be an human element there to actually understand uh, the, the kind of uh, DNA your clients have. I think this this has been a fascinating conversation. Um and I know we can talk and talk and talk, but as we are coming to the end of our time, uh, I thank you very much for sharing your experience. I know for, you know your journey into forensic, how you work, the challenges that you face, especially around people and compliance and, and things like that. Um, as we as we wrap up, what would you? What's the one thing that you had only one thing to say to to the listeners that you'd want to say about? Uh, the work you do as an investigator what should we 
really, really be looking out for in terms of the preventive thing that people should be doing? What was the one thing that you would you would tell our listeners? The one thing I would, I would uh, emphasize really is you have to you have to be cautious and also be responsible of the security around you. And in the event you lose an asset or say a phone or something that uh, is going to be is is stuck to your say two factor authentication, the I would urge everyone, every listener, to report first to your bank. Because if you report to your bank, your financial institution, then they can block any transaction going forward. So then not, not the telco? Not the no, telco? No, the bank. It, it depends on what you are interested in. But if it is, the bar, if it is the, your money, report to the bank so that your account can be blocked temporarily then you can now go to the to police then the telco because if you also go to the telco without the police sometimes you may have a back and forth but now if you have reported to police and you have a police letter then the telco will also do their job but the first thing the first the one and only thing that like you've said report to your financial institution so that they can block temporary account because by the time you go imagine it is a friday and you go to police by the time it is monday if the bank does not know about your transaction the account may be empty and then you now work backwards so working backwards of course like you said there are so many challenges that you can't give assurance that in a day or two we shall be your money will be back but you could have suffered enormous financial loss yeah 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 yeah, that's a good one. Do you? Yes, I guess uh, that's it for today. Uh, do you have also final thoughts, Josephine? <laughs> no, I, I mean I'm I'm just been learning. I've been writing and learning, uh, and and I really I find the whole. Uh, no, I think I might uh, look into forensic investigations. <laughs> <laughs> Although when you tell me about the credit accreditation you have, I'm not sure. I want to go back to school, but uh, <laughs> I, I could mentor you. <laughs> Actually, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Uh, I just find it absolutely fascinating. But um, I think you know we appreciate you know your time. We really appreciate your time and for coming and talking to us. I think, as I said, I've learned a lot. Um, I really cannot really add more. I wish we could have had more time to speak to you longer. But thank you very much for the interest in our in this in the podcast and thank you for your time once again okay thank you too and it was a wonderful moment yeah okay, okay. have a great day Likewise. all right thank you Dale. thank you